Book One, Chapter Eight of A Hero of Our Time by Mikhail Yurovich Lermontov, translated by Mar Murray and J. H. Wisdom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. All is for the best, I said, sitting down close by the fire. Now you will finish telling me the story about Biela. I am certain that what you have already told me was not the end of it. Oh, why are you so certain? answered the staff captain, winking and smiling slyly. Because things don't happen like that. A story with such an unusual beginning must also have an unusual ending. You have guessed, of course. I'm very glad to hear it. It is all very well for you to be glad, but indeed it makes me sad when I think of it. Biala was a splendid girl. In the end I grew accustomed to her, as if she had been my own daughter, and she loved me. I must tell you that I have no family. I have no news of my father and mother for twelve years or so, and in my earlier days I never thought of providing myself with a wife, and now, you know, it wouldn't do. So I was glad to have found someone to spoil. She used to sing to us, or dance at Lezginka, and what a dancer she was. I have seen our own ladies in provincial society, and on one occasion, sir, about twenty years ago, I was even in the nobles' club at Moscow. But was there a woman to be compared with her? Not one. Grigory Alexandrovitch dressed her up like a doll, petted and pampered her, and it was simply astonishing to see how pretty she grew while she lived with us. The sunburn disappeared from her face and hands, and a rosy color came into her cheeks. What a merry girl she was, always making fun of me, the little rogue! Heaven forgive her! And when you told her of her father's death? We kept it a secret from her for a long time, until she had grown accustomed to her position. And then, when she was told, she cried for a day or two, and forgot all about it. For four months or so everything went on as well as it possibly could. Grigory Alexandrovitch, as I think I have already mentioned, was passionately fond of hunting. He was always craving to be off into the forest after boars and wild goats but now it would be as much as he would do to go beyond the fortress rampart. All at once, however, I saw that he was beginning to have fits of abstraction, walking about his room with his hands clasped behind his back. One day after that, without telling anyone, he set off shooting. During the whole morning he was not to be seen, then the same thing happened another time, and so on, oftener and oftener, this looks bad, I said to myself. Something must have come between them. One morning I paid them a visit. I can see it all in my mind's eye, as if it was happening now. Biela was sitting on the bed, wearing a black silk jacket, and looking rather pale, and so sad that I was alarmed. Where is Pechorin? I asked. Hunting. When did he go? Today? She was silent, as if she found a difficulty in answering. "'No, he's been gone since yesterday,' she said at length, with a heavy sigh. 
Surely nothing has happened to him. Yesterday I thought and thought the whole day, she answered, through her tears. I imagined all sorts of misfortunes. At one time I fancied that he had been wounded by a wild boar, at another time that he had been carried off by a Chechen into the mountains. But now I have come to think that he no longer loves me. In truth, my dear girl, you could not have imagined anything worse. She burst out crying. Then, proudly raising her head, she wiped away the tears and continued, If he does not love me, then who prevents him sending me home? I'm not putting any constraint on him, but if things go on like this, I will go away. I am not a slave. I am a prince's daughter. I tried to talk to her. Listen, Bella. You see it is impossible for him to stop in here with you forever, as if he was sewn on to your petticoat. He is a young man and fond of hunting. Off he'll go, but you will find that he will come back and if you're going to be unhappy, you will soon make him tired of you. True, true, she said, I will be merry. And with a burst of laughter she seized her tambourine, began to sing, dance, and gambol around me. But that did not last long either. She fell upon the bed again and buried her face in her hands. What could I do with her? You know I have never been accustomed to the society of women. I thought and thought how to cheer her up, but couldn't hit on anything. For some time both of us remained silent. A most unpleasant situation, sir. At length I said to her, Would you like us to go and take a walk on the rampart? The weather is splendid. This was in September, and indeed it was a wonderful day, bright and not too hot. The mountains could be seen as clearly as though they were but a hand's breadth away. We went and walked in silence to and fro along the rampart of the fortress. At length she sat down on the sward, and I sat beside her. In truth, now, it is funny to think of it. I used to run after her just like a kind of children's nurse. Our fortress was situated in a lofty position, and the view from the rampart was superb. On one side the wide clearing seemed by a few clefts was bounded by the forest which stretched out to the very ridge of the mountains. Here and there on the clearing villages were to be seen sending forth their smoke, and there were droves of horses roaming about. On the other side flowed a tiny stream, and close to its banks came the dense undergrowth which covered the flinty heights joining the principal chain of the Caucasus. We sat in a corner of the bastion so that we could see everything on both sides. Suddenly I perceived someone on a gray horse riding out of the forest. Nearer and nearer he approached until finally he stopped on the far side of the river, about a hundred fathoms from us, and began to wheel his horse round and round like one possessed. Strange, I thought. Look, look, Bella, I said. You've got young eyes. What sort of horseman is that? Who is it he has come to amuse? It is Kazbich, she exclaimed after a glance. Ah, the robber. Come to laugh at us, has he? I looked closely, and sure enough it was Kazbich, with his swarthy face, and as ragged and dirty as ever. It is my father's horse, said Biela, 
seizing my arm. She was trembling like a leaf, and her eyes were sparkling. Aha! I said to myself, there is robber's blood in your veins still, my dear. Come here, I said to the sentry. Look to your gun and unhorse that gallant for me, and you shall have a silver rouble. Very well, you honor, only he won't keep still. Tell him to, I said with a laugh. Hey, friend, cried the sentry, waving his hand. Wait a bit. What are you spinning round like a humming-top for? Kazbich halted and gave ear to the sentry, probably thinking that we were going to parley with him. Quite the contrary. My grenadier took aim. Bang! Missed! Just as the powder flashed in the pan, Kazbich jogged his horse, which gave a bound to one side. He stood up in his stirrups, shouted something in his own language, and made a threatening gesture with his whip, and was off. "'Aren't you ashamed of yourself?' I said to the sentry. "'He has gone away to die, Your Honor,' he answered. "'There's no killing a man of that cursed race at one stroke.' A quarter of an hour later Pechorin returned from hunting. Biela threw herself on his neck without a single complaint, without a single reproach for his lengthy absence. Even I was angry with him by this time. "'Good heavens!' I said. "'Why, I tell you, Kazbich was here on the other side of the river just a moment ago, and we shot at him. How easily you might have run up against him, you know. These mountaineers are a vindictive race. Do you suppose he does not guess that you gave Azamat some help? And I wager that he recognized Biela today. I know he was desperately fond of her a year ago. He told me so himself.' and if he had had any hope of getting together a proper bridesmaid gift, he would certainly have sought her in marriage. At this Pechorin became thoughtful. "'Yes,' he answered. "'We must be more cautious. Biela, from this day forth you mustn't walk on the rampart any more.' In the evening I had a lengthy explanation with him. I was so vexed that his feelings toward the girl had changed, to say nothing of his spending half the day hunting— his manner towards her had become cold. He rarely caressed her, and she was beginning perceptibly to pine away. Her little face was becoming drawn, her large eyes growing dim. "'What are you sighing for, Biela?' I would ask her. "'Are you sad?' "'No.' "'Do you want anything?' "'No.' "'Are you pining for your kinsfolk?' "'I have none.' Sometimes, for whole days, not a word could be drawn from her but yes and no. So I straightway proceeded to talk to Pechorin about her. End of Book One, Chapter Eight Recording by Kevin Davidson, www.blogordie.com